You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, where anything goes if it makes you grow. I'm Halataha, and we're about to explore one of the most innovative and era-defining discoveries of the past century, cryptocurrency. This new way of storing value has entered mainstream adoption, and so we've got to understand it to make the right decisions for our future. Episode two, we're yapping about the internet of value. For the first time ever in the history of the world, we're creating this internet of value whereby without any bank, government, or institution in the middle, I can exchange value with you. So Bitcoin itself, it doesn't start until January 3rd, 2009. By 2010, 11, there's some level of traction. By 2012, People are really excited about this technology. Satoshi Nakamoto wrote a technical white paper that really set the foundation of how the Bitcoin blockchain works. And at some point, he disappeared off the face of the internet of the earth, and nobody knows who that person is. And then fast forward to 2015 and 16, the white paper for Ethereum is written. And I'll end with December 2017, Bitcoin, which was once uh, trading well under a penny, it hits its all-time high of nearly $20,000. Bitcoin is the sixth largest currency in the world out of nearly 300 countries. And so it's this weird new asset. But for all intents and purposes, it is working. And as a result, when people saw that it was working over the past few years, more and more other cryptocurrencies, other blockchains and other tokens such as Ethereum have been created. So if you take away Bitcoin tomorrow morning, obviously it would hurt the blockchain, but it would not make this financial genie, this thing that everybody is calling the internet of money or the internet of value, it would not make that go away because the idea of this digital currency that is not issued by a central authority, a government, uh, a bank, is so powerful that the people have voted you know, with their wallets, with their time, with their resources, that this is a thing that people want. Full disclosure, I'm fairly new to cryptocurrency. In fact, I'll be new to most topics we tackle on this show. That's the point. We grow and learn together. So to get a better grip on cryptocurrency, I did a ton of research and studying myself, and I also interviewed several influencers, including CEO of Wealth Chain and cryptocurrency evangelist, Philip Nunn. I'm arguably Europe's biggest cryptocurrency influencer. I have a large online network, um, over 300,000 followers on different social platforms. So I come from a financial markets background, and uh, I'm absolutely blockchain and crypto obsessed. I also spoke with Ohad Flinker. I'm a marketing strategist, and I am currently focused on cryptocurrency and tokenization strategies. Ed Lehner. I'm a full-time faculty member within the City University of New York uh, University System, and I've been researching cryptocurrencies for over four years. And Paul Savchuk and Tim Malinik, the 26-year-old Ukrainian founders of Cryptocurrency Capital, LLC. Hi, everyone. My name is Paul Savchuk. I am a CEO of Cryptocurrency Capital. And yeah, just with me, Tim. Yes, hello, guys. My name is Timothy. I'm CFO and co-founder of Cryptocurrency Capital. We're a management company for a crypto hedge fund. 
With cryptocurrency, I think it's important to get a good history lesson before diving into the technology, the market, and all the specifics. We've got to understand the context, the environment, what led us here, and why people accepted this new technology in their lives in the first place. If you actually think about globalization and how the world's become smaller, there's only really been two things that have impacted that in the last, and they've both happened in the last sort of 30 years. The first was the advent of the internet for me. Um, you know, when you, if you remember the first sort of intranets and, and the internet, people were sort of laughing at it and saying it would never have uh, any impact or take on. And what the internet's done is given us this freedom and ability to exchange information freely with each other and instantly. And the second one was then the smartphone. The smartphones had more of a profound effect in terms of a raw mobile and we can sort of track where we are and what we're doing. And it's a, it's a huge thing. And the third one, which is this new wave that's come along, is blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And what this really means is for the first time ever in the history of the world, we're creating this internet of value whereby without any bank, government or institution in the middle, I can exchange value with you. So we would be able to exchange value with no middleman, no intermediary, and within seconds from the UK to New York. And it's really quite exciting. Because money started out as a store of value that was coupled to a commodity like gold or silver. And in 1971, Richard Nixon decoupled the US dollar from the value of gold, creating a fiat currency or value by decree just because, you know, the king or the government said so. And that worked okay pretty much until people felt like they lost trust in 2008. And we trust a very small group of companies and government agencies to manage our value in the world. And that usually works until it doesn't, like in the financial crisis of 2008. And what happened very soon afterwards in 2009 is that a very small group of tech geeks ran this social experiment. Let's create our own ledger. And instead of a bank or a government agency being an organization of trust to manage that value, we'll have the crowd manage that value. And more and more people over the past decade have poured their time and resources into the Bitcoin blockchain. And it was the first real use case or proof that the blockchain can actually work. In my mind, you know, people who've been in that space for a long time have been sitting on this technology and waiting for the opportune moment. Because while the economic times were good and we were thriving and everything was good, if Bitcoin would have come along, you'd have just been laughed, laughed away as quick as it came along. But actually when people have had enough of the banking system collapsing, government bailouts, quantitative easing, you know, if you look at countries like Cyprus, Portugal, Greece, Italy, Ireland, Argentina, Zimbabwe, I'll keep naming that we've got a massive economic crisis and uh, people are looking for another way and another solution. So this is why it had the maximum impact. And it's here to stay, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. And why does it work? Because enough people agree that it's a store of value. And part of the reason it's such a polarizing issue is because the idea behind Bitcoin is a little bit subversive because the definition of money is currency issued by a government and there is no government that issues Bitcoin. 
Okay, this is a really important point. Bitcoin is not backed by the government. In fact, we don't know who's behind the world's most valued cryptocurrency. It was founded by an unknown person or group named Satoshi Nakamoto, and everyone has their own version of who or exactly what that is. Let's spend a few minutes on the history of cryptocurrencies. Can you talk about Satoshi Nakamoto and his contribution to Bitcoin? Sure. So Satoshi Nakamoto was part of this well-known cryptography uh, email list. And they had these forms in roughly, I think it was Halloween 2008. He released this white paper. I've come up with this concept for digital peer-to-peer cash. Satoshi Nakamoto's now legendary technical and marketing research paper or white paper is called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. Yeah, so I think part of the appeal of the story of Bitcoin is the mystery because the blockchain and specifically the Bitcoin blockchain came onto the scene about a year after the financial crisis of 2008. And somebody or something or someone's, you know, plural, by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto, wrote a technical white paper that really set the foundation of how the Bitcoin blockchain works. And that was essentially an idea released into the community. And Satoshi Nakamoto was active promoting this white paper and these ideas together with a large community of other enthusiasts. And at some point, he disappeared off the face of the internet of the earth and nobody knows who that person is. And different people surmise that it's probably not one person, it's probably a group of people. And there is no one person you can attribute the idea of Bitcoin to. And part of the mystery here is that that first Genesis block that Satoshi Nakamoto mined is worth over a billion dollars. According to internet gossip, Nakamoto was the sole Bitcoin miner for the first 10 days of Bitcoin's existence and owns around 1 million original Bitcoins or Satoshi coins, which is currently worth over $7.5 billion at the time of this recording. Really sort of the history of obviously the Satoshi Nakamoto in the, the Bitcoin white paper. I think personally in 2009, that when that was released, whoever release that and whoever they were, people speculate. Obviously, there's a very large Bitcoin wallet that's not been touched since that point that's going up in value. And I think if Bitcoin ever hits 100,000, the person who owns that wallet will be the first trillionaire on the planet. Quite a, a large amount of Bitcoin. And what people are curious about, worried about, anxious about is what happens when that Genesis block suddenly you know, comes to life and somebody says, hey, I'm Satoshi and I will now command that value of billions of dollars in Bitcoin. And that, you know, that excites some people, it scares other people. And it's part of what keeps the mystery, the enthusiasm around Bitcoin alive. There is no open answer. We know there are a few people claim that there are real Satoshi Nakamoto with some intention, maybe good, maybe bad. But the thing is that Satoshi is kind of a, a mysterious person. You can say the guy from 
different dimension who gave us this kind of, of, of technology everyone is talking about at this moment of time. Somebody thinks that Satoshi is Elon Musk, you know, that Elon <laughs> Musk created BDC, you know, to save us all, blah, blah, blah. Well, I know who uh, they, well, no, I don't, I'm joking. Well, maybe I do. Um, look, distributed ledger technology is not a new thing at all. It's something that's been in concept and around since 1991. And all the blockchain really is, it's an amalgamation of probably seven or eight different pieces of technology that are all mashed together to create sort of the secret source, if you like. So Bitcoin itself, it doesn't start until January 3rd, 2009. That's when they actually start hashing blocks. And the very first block is called the Genesis block. Now, what happens after Bitcoin is released is computers all over the world start to hash it. It's a very slow and small project. By 2010, 11, there's some level of traction. By 2012, people are really excited about this technology and more and more people are uh, you know, involved in the cryptocurrency space. But one needs to know that at the same time, a number of altcoins are being developed. So an altcoin and an alternative coin is something that uses Satoshi Nakamoto's technology um, noting that Nakamoto released this paper in open source so anyone in the world can copy Bitcoin if they wanted to. And so that's exactly what people did in the development of these altcoins. And then fast forward to 2015 and 16, the white paper for Ethereum is written. And I guess I'll end with December 2017, Bitcoin, which was once uh, trading well under a penny, hits its all-time high of nearly $20,000. And so it's this weird new asset. But for all intents and purposes, it is working. And as a result, when people saw that it was working over the past few years, more and more other cryptocurrencies, other blockchains and other tokens or uh, units of value that are coupled to a specific blockchains such as Ethereum have been created. So if you take away Bitcoin tomorrow morning, obviously it would hurt the blockchain, but it would not make this financial genie, this thing that everybody is calling the internet of money or the internet of value, it would not make that go away because the idea of this digital currency that is not issued by a central authority, a government, uh, a bank is so powerful that the people have voted, you know, with their wallets, with their time, with their resources, that this is a thing that people want. All right. So fast forward to 2018. Bitcoin or BTC was announced almost 10 years ago, trading on the exchanges by 2010 with its highest price that year at just 39 cents. To put that in perspective, Bitcoin is currently priced a little under $7,500 with 17 million Bitcoin currently in circulation, making it roughly a $127 billion market cap. Since BTC launched, more and more cryptocurrencies have emerged on the scene. And today there's about 16 1,500 altcoins currently in circulation. Get familiar with names like Ethereum, Ripple, EOS, Dash, Monero, Cardano, IOTA, and Bitcoin Cash, which is a fork of Bitcoin. What's a fork, you say? Well, it's technical. And lucky for you, you're about to get into some technicalities. So let's get started with an understanding of what exactly cryptocurrency is. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. 
And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password and then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Young and profiters, I'm about to be jet-setting all over the world. I'm going to London, Cancun, New Orleans, and New York to speak. I'm going to be up there with the bright lights, and I want to be spiffy. I want to look fresh. And so I'm going on a big shopping spree. I got to get clothes. I got to get hair stuff, skincare stuff, makeup. But I'm not going to feel guilty about this shopping spree because Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Rakuten is the shopping platform for savvy savers. From May 6th to May 13th, they're having their biggest cashback event of the year. I'm talking about 15% cashback at hundreds of stores with additional cashback bonuses. And they've got so many stores participating in their big give week. So when it comes to clothes, I'm looking at Splendid and Good American. And when it comes to beauty, they've got so many good stores participating. They've got Ulta, Fenty, Bobby Brown, Blue Mercury, and all the products that We love, now we can get cash back. It's like getting a discount on the stuff you're gonna buy anyway. It's absolutely amazing. They even have travel brands, so that's gonna be super convenient for me with all my upcoming trips. 
Expedia, Hotels.com. You can get deals on everything from electronics to home goods to travel and beauty. Young and profiters, you're going to want to grab this limited time deal with both hands. You get high cash back rates for only eight days. So hurry. Membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app at R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Yeah, so I, I think the, the most straightforward example is that cryptocurrency is a ledger. Uh, just like if you were doing your monthly billing or uh, anyone who does ledgers, like an accountant, and it's simply a store of money. So the, the general meaning of the cryptocurrency is something which is built on on blockchain technology requires special proof of transaction it might be proof of work or proof of stake or proof of, of something else and it's in some way open source okay so i'm about to really break this down the main notion behind blockchain is reaching a consensus in a decentralized way This is done via a distributed ledger that contains a record of all previous transactions. It's called a distributed ledger because the transactions are not stored in one central location. This is what makes blockchain revolutionary. The ledger or the blockchain is stored on every computer or every node that partakes in the network. So it's a database that exists out there and is replicated across hundreds of thousands of nodes or computers. And therefore, if you wanted to hack the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, you'd have to hack hundreds of thousands of computers simultaneously, and that is effectively impossible. So that's part of the power of the blockchain. This is a key point of blockchains. They are designed to be immutable, and they record events and engrave them into this digital, unerodable rock. And once a piece of information goes in, you can depend on it never changing. This concept or quality of immutability is what makes blockchain different from regular files or databases where information can be edited or deleted at will. And in order for blockchain or a distributed ledger to work, the participants in the network need to collectively agree on the contents of this ledger. This is the job of something called a consensus mechanism or consensus algorithm. The first blockchain, Bitcoin, reaches consensus with proof of work, also known as mining. Proof of work is a requirement to solve a complicated mathematical puzzle in order to process a block of transactions and add it to the blockchain. Nodes, more commonly known as miners, compete to be the first to solve the problem that concerns a candidate block, and this can only be done through many attempts of trial and error, essentially guessing a large number at random. So miners take this mystery number along with data from the block and apply it to a cryptographic hash function. This hash function takes the data fed into it, and in Bitcoin's case, turns it into a unique 64-character string of numbers and letters, which serves as a potential answer to the problem. The miner who first solves the puzzle gets to place the next block on the blockchain and claim the rewards, which is given in the form of coins or transaction fees. So blockchain is that one block is built on top of another block. So all these computers around the world are keeping records of the same blockchain. They're keeping records of the same public ledger. So how blockchain works is that there are hundreds of computers hashing this and keeping this public record. 
And in the early days, let's say 2009, 2011, a regular computer could do this and actually win the blockchain. They could, they could win the, what they call the mining reward. And so all of these transactions, particularly for Bitcoin, but this is true of other cryptocurrencies, are stored on computers all around the world. And that's why it's called a peer-to-peer -peer system, which is different than, let's say, the bank system. You know, I make a deposit, it's no good, or uh, the bank, for whatever reason, freezes my accounts. So that is a, what they call in computer language, kind of like a master-slave relationship where only one person can do the writing. Whereas in a peer-to-peer -peer blockchain, the peers do the writing. It should be noted that proof of work is very expensive to participate in, and it takes enormous amounts of electricity to solve these problems. Here's an alarming fact. A recent study from the science journal Joule claims that the Bitcoin network consumes 2.55 gigawatts of electricity per year, nearly the same amount consumed by Ireland. And if that's not shocking enough, the study also says that Bitcoin could someday consume 5% of the world's electricity. And because proof-of-work puzzles are designed to get more complicated as the network grows, it will require even more computational power as time goes on. At the present time, a Bitcoin miner is awarded 12.5 new coins for validating a transaction, almost $100,000, which is why mining farms are willing to pay for very expensive mining equipment and electricity costs to perform the calculations continuously, and even the users that don't win are expending computing power round the clock. In addition, mining pools have emerged where people team up to increase their chances of mining a new block and collect the reward, and these pools now control large portions of the Bitcoin blockchain. With Bitcoin, and this is really the paradox of Bitcoin, is that it's a decentralized currency mined by maybe five mining camps. Well, that's not altogether decentralized, right? Uh, um, it's almost, um, uh, dare I say, laughable. But if you, if you have a decentralized currency that's only being mined by very few groups, it doesn't cohere to what I think the Genesis block highlights, and more importantly, the Satoshi Nakamoto vision. To solve issues like these, a new consensus algorithm emerged called Proof of Stake, and it's used by large crypto networks like Dash, and the second largest cryptocurrency, Ethereum, is transitioning from Proof of Work to a Proof of Stake model. Proof of stake is an alternative way of verifying and validating the transaction or block. It is still an algorithm and the basic idea is that letting everyone compete against each other with mining is just wasteful. Instead, proof of stake uses an election process where one node is randomly chosen to validate the next block. Many claim that proof of stake is a better alternative because it achieves the same distributed consensus at a lower cost and uses considerably less energy. In addition, setting up a node for proof of stake is less expensive compared to proof of work. You don't need expensive mining equipment, and this encourages more people to set up a node, making the network more decentralized and also more secure. Oh yeah, some small differences in the terminology here. Proof of stake has no miners, but instead has validators. And it doesn't let people mine blocks, but instead they forge new blocks. Validators aren't chosen completely randomly. To become a validator, a node has to deposit a certain amount of coins into the network as a stake. The size of the stake determines the chances of the validator being chosen to forge the next block. I see other algorithms that use a lot less electricity, are more efficient, 
and tend to be fairer. So it's called the proof of stake algorithm, often seen as capital P, lowercase o, capital S. And within the proof of stake algorithm, they reward people for staking their coins, which is very different than Bitcoin, which is the proof of work algorithm, often seen as capital P, lowercase o, uppercase W. And that is only the miners get the rewards. So to summarize, each blockchain has a set of rules or consensus mechanism by which transactions are validated on the network, like proof of work or proof of stake. And these rules are agreed upon by the miners themselves. So finally, to get back to what a hard fork is, sometimes miners for a coin decide to change the rules for validating a block. And that's when a coin splits and the modified version becomes a fork of the original coin. Some miners decide to mine on the new rule set and some continue on the old rule set. Bitcoin Cash is an example of a fork. There's more nuances to chain splits, but I'm not going to try to go there. Is your head spinning? I honestly think that's normal. Blockchain technology can be really hard to understand, and core concepts tend to get lost amongst the complexity of non-essential detail. And one of the first mistakes I think people make with trying to figure out this thing called the blockchain and Bitcoin is trying to figure out the technology. And I think the more interesting question is why people are so excited about the blockchain and about Bitcoin. As of today, the cryptocurrency is a new asset class. Same as, you know, think about ages ago when, for example, the shares were invented. You know, you have to think in a new way. What is it? Same goes with crypto. This is just the new way of thinking about things. You don't have to actually understand it, how it works. You need to understand how you can use it. And it doesn't mean that you need to make in-depth research of who created why it has value, and what kind of protocol was used. People use Amazon on their phone, they use the Google on their phone. They have no understanding how it works, but they still take benefit of it. What I always say is, you know, blockchain technology, all you have to think of it is all the, all the blockchain is, is a database, a ledger, but it, it, as opposed to working centrally on one centralized server, it's decentralized on many different nodes and machines, and it works in a totally different way. But it's much like a buddy of mine um, on LinkedIn stated a while ago that if you if I got into telling you how microwave worked and the fundamentals of that, you'd probably never use one again. And most people, actually, when you talk about the internet, how many people in the world know how the internet works? If I asked you to explain exactly how Instagram worked and the fundamentals of it, you wouldn't be able to explain it. And not many of us would. So really what it's all about is this thing's going to sort of slowly come underneath us like the internet did. And to understand the the fundamentals of it, that you're moving from a centralized way of working to a decentralized way of working, that's really all you need to know. And the fact that it's going to give you a secure way of trading value. Okay, so you've got a baseline of the technology, and that's all you really need. Unless you're interested in benefiting from cryptocurrency through mining or forging, or even launching a new altcoin yourself. For the majority of us, we need to just focus on the outcome of blockchain and cryptocurrency, and how they will change the world. So can you talk about why cryptocurrency and blockchain is important for young professionals and millennials to begin to study and get familiar with? Like, why is that important for them to start interacting with this new technology? 
Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm gonna like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. 
Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sure. I think particularly for millennials, your generation will be inheriting the folly of previous generations. The amount of debt that your generation is inheriting is significant. And so this opportunity, and I think, you know, every generation has this opportunity where there's significant wealth creation. So I saw this during my career, early career in the internet, where people became millionaires and billionaires. I mean, that was in internet 1.0. By the time internet 2.0 comes around, because of things like network effect, Facebook has a type of network effect that Yahoo only dreamt about in 1998, or Google had a type of network effect where they basically were able to catalog the entire world, right? Whether it be Google Maps or information on the web, those types of opportunities have kind of come and gone. So particularly, I think why millennials should be interested in cryptocurrency is one, the crushing debt that sadly this generation will inherit. Two, and probably more importantly, it's this wealth generation opportunity of your generation. Right. If one were alive in the late 1870s, I would say railroads, you know, get into railroads, right? Or get into banking, right? Uh, try to um, figure out what John Pierpoint Morgan is doing. Or if one were, if it was through the 70s, I would talk about the personal computer. But now as we're, you know, approaching 2020, this wealth generation opportunity is so salient. So how do you think cryptocurrency will change the world? I mean, goodness me. I have to be careful when I do these podcasts because I don't want to get shot somehow by a uh, like a secret agent. <laughs> I'm sure I won't. But you know, the, we've had a way of working for many, many years, probably hundreds of years, which is a centralized way of working. We're all very controlled by the system, and that's the biggest stranglehold this breaks. You know, guys who've had all the power have had it too good for too long, and and I see cryptocurrency as an uprising. And this leads on to the question about helping society. I mean, you look at the world we live in and how much wealth there is in the world. It's just unfair. It doesn't work. The system does not work. We still have poverty. We still have people starving. I feel like the reason why Wall Street and like bankers are so afraid of blockchain is because everything's going to be so transparent that you will not be able to create new derivatives or, or like create default swaps like in which caused the mortgage crisis or which or the dot-com crisis. So each time we had like depression or like stagnation or like the financial crisis, it, it was because of the influence of those major players. And the reason why it happened, because nobody could control it. Everything was happening behind the closed doors. And even if you have the account in this bank, even if you know how the financial markets work and what type of assets you can trade or invest, you're still under the risk that bankers are going to use your money five, six times more with offshore accounts or like they're not going to audit their company properly and you will not be confident that they have funds or not. And if you're talking about blockchain, to control all these processes like behind the closed doors in the open way. So everybody's going to know what's happening no matter what. I mean, I live in America. We live in America. We have banking systems, access to credit. People don't have this. 
And what really got me into, I've always, you know, for the last few years, been so diligent about my cryptocurrency, but really what made it so compelling for me was last December, December of 2016, when India took out most of its currency. They took out what in America would be the equivalent of all ones, all their fives, all their tens, and all their twenties. And they basically just went to high note bills, fifties and hundreds. But that's this idea in economics, which we call Gresham's law. And Gresham's law is that the good money goes out of the economy. And that's exactly what happened in India. The Indian government gave seven hours notice. Basically, it would be the equivalent of, of our president saying, okay, we're no longer going to accept cash except for 50s and 100s. All that money will go out of the economy almost directly. And all those small bills are now worthless. And millions of people suffered. I'm sure thousands or hundreds of thousands uh, suffered greatly and many died. And that made me think about how important it is uh, what we're doing in cryptocurrency is that we're providing a counter narrative to a traditional banking system. We still have people dropping bombs on Syria, which is due to, you know, political sentiment and all this sort of thing. And I'm a great believer that blockchain and the, the movement of blockchain and cryptocurrency is one that can wipe out lots of this corruption and lots of this sort of lack of integrity and unfairness that exists in the world. Whether or not this actually happens, I don't know. But I think in terms of a better society, you know, there's your altruistic, there's your sort of, you know, best case scenario for me. But actually, if you look at it from a us living in a Western world and going to work every day and living an honest life and doing what we do, I think what's going to happen going forward is that instead of people like Facebook and Amazon and Google and Microsoft and the big Silicon Valley companies monetizing our existence and monetizing our data and controlling that side of how we exist, I think that's going to change. So in the future, I see a future where there will be a version of Facebook. I think Facebook will be gone in 10 years completely. We'll sort of say, remember Facebook like MySpace. And there'll be a version of Facebook that'll be very much a decentralized version where we're all on there. We can exchange value with each other. So I can be in a restaurant and I will tag myself in the restaurant and I will get some tokens for doing that. So we'll all be able to monetize our existence in a better way. We'll be able to use our spare hours where we're a lawyer and we want to give two or three hours a week extra work and we'll be able to tokenize that. So we're moving to this sort of decentralized, tokenized way of working, but I think it's power to the people in that we'll all be able to create value within our own existence. And that's really powerful. Thank you for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast, where anything goes if it makes you grow. This concludes part one of the Internet of Value. Catch part two next week, where we'll take a closer look at the other players in the market aside from Bitcoin and the considerations to keep in mind when looking to participate in the market. Young and Profiting Podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered financial advice. Conduct your own due diligence or consult a licensed financial advisor before making your investment decisions. Yap is supported by a wonderful team. Big thanks to our audio engineer, John Sparks, music by Harry Fraud, and assistant producer, Timothy Tan. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and Twitter at Yap underscore podcast. And check out our website at youngandprofiting.com for show notes and additional references. Be sure to subscribe or follow us wherever you enjoy listening to your podcast. See you next week for part two of the Internet of Value. This is Hala Taha signing off.